Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me once again for Mindshare Matters. I can't wait to share with you my dear friend Pierrette Tierney's story. Uh, Pierrette started her life in the wine country of California, had a stint in London with CNN, and is now one of the most prominent leaders in home building. Just an amazing story and an amazing human, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Thank you so very much for joining us today and, and making time. Um, you've been around this company from almost day one, so you've, you're, you're almost like this is a second home for you, but I'm really, really grateful to have you here. Of course, thank you. It's nice that you guys are right in my backyard. It's true. <laughs> I don't have to get up too early to get here. No. Um, so we typically start with the beginning of your story. Okay. So I'd love to start there, where you were born, um, what the context was like, what your parents were like, that kind of thing. Okay. So, born in Sonoma County, uh, my mom's side of the family actually has deep French heritage. My grandfather immigrated here from Paris when he was 16. Wow. Yeah, with and my great-grandmother. And hence the so French first name. That's the French first name. So his name was Pierre, ah. born in Paris. Um, he didn't have any sons, so he named one of his daughters Pierrette. So I have an aunt Pierrette. And I think I've only met maybe four others in my entire life, even traveling in France. So, you know, so. Yeah, um, named after my, my grandfather and my aunt and grew up in kind of this fun French-influenced family dynamic in Sonoma County, which was a great place to be French because there's a lot of wine That's and so cool. enjoyed food and wine and just kind of all those experiences as a young child. Um, my mom and my stepdad actually met and got married when I was pretty young. So mm. my real father left the picture when I was two, two and a half. Um, my brother was really little. My brother was like six weeks old. Oh my gosh. So, you know, grew up with mm. a mom who was insanely strong and yeah. independent. And she was a, a teacher raising two little kids. Um, and then when I was about four and a half, five, stepfather came into the, the picture and he brought two sons with him. So I grew up with three brothers, um, kind of Brady Bunch style, but it worked. That's cool. And yeah, so big kind of combined family and being the only girl, it was uh, an interesting dynamic. Um, definitely you, made me strong and confident. Were you the oldest of all five? <laughs> I or? wasn't, so I have two older brothers and mm. one younger brother. So I'm kind of in the, kind middle, of the middle, but I definitely act like the I oldest. was gonna say, <laughs> you're not a middle child, P. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. No, I still act like the oldest. Yes. Child, so. <laughs> and all of that was in Sonoma? All in Sonoma County, so and lived there. I graduated high school a little early, not as early as you, but at 17. Um, right. So I lived there my whole life in a little tiny town called Cloverdale. That cool. uh, I, My high school graduating class had 64 kids in it. It was small. That's crazy. And then, uh, and then left Cloverdale to go to San Diego for college. Now, Sonoma County has this small town sophistication though. Mm -hmm. So it's not a normal 64, uh, class of 64, That's right? That's true. You... And you know, we always, I don't know if it was the influence of my, you know, grandparents and coming from like more of a Parisian background, but yeah. we'd go into San Francisco all the, all time, the time as a child, go shopping, go to shows, go to, you know, opera. So we had this interesting dynamic of being in this little tiny rural town with like one stoplight, 
but and then the sophistication of you know getting dressed up and going into the city and having these like you know kind of high-end experiences did, did san francisco feel like the big city like you were going to the big city or did you feel like you were part of the community meaning you're just in a suburb of, of san francisco no it definitely felt like going into the big city you, you were going away mm -hmm. wow absolutely and it was you know it's about an hour and 40 minutes from where i grew up so it's not like just around the corner it was kind of an experience you know to, to go down there mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's go to your high school experience and yeah. please tell tell me about that. What what were you like in high school? What did you study? What were you interested in? You know, it's I, I kind of have always been somebody who likes everything, mm. and so being in a small town, it actually allowed me to do that. You know, it's not something that most kids get to experience today. It's like you kind of have to pick your lane That's when you're true. seven years old. You're never going to make it in that <laughs> category, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I, I loved school, I loved academics, and was pretty balanced in terms of, you know, like you look at SAT scores, like someone's usually really good at the LA or someone's really good at math. I was kind of like Good decently, at everything. Decent, you were good like at decently, everything. No, just decently <laughs> balanced in both. Um, played a lot of sports, so I think that was the brother influence for sure. I played actually four varsity sports oh my gosh. in high school. Um, what then, were they? Uh, so I, I mainly played volleyball, basketball. I liked softball. It was fun, but it wasn't like my sport. I just did it because I could. And then um, I did track and field, but Holy. that was mainly just to stay in shape <laughs> for the other sports that I love. Just, you know, since you had more time, you might as well <laughs> add another sport. That's crazy. Just to stay busy, right? So, yeah. That's and, awesome. you know, kept us all out of trouble. All my brothers and I played sports, and in a small town, you can do that. So, D Did you... I'm always curious, and uh, you know, I see kids in high school who feel like I can't wait to graduate, become an adult, and get the heck out of here. And I see kids who really feel a connection, even as teenagers, mm -hmm. to their home. Were you one of those two, or somewhere in between? It's interesting. I think I've always had this like curious dynamic and mm -hmm. an interest to travel and explore and have new experiences. So. I really enjoyed my high school years and like made the most of them and you know like student government and sports and like tried to be, be as involved as I could but I always knew I was going to leave mm. Cloverdale and there weren't a lot of kids in my class who had that same ambition like a good portion of the friends that I hung out with growing up still live in Cloverdale and wow. have made their lives there. Um, Not a bad place, obviously. No, a, so. amazing place. And yeah. now I want to get back yeah, there, right? Exactly. I'm like, okay, now I went and like, did all these things, and I realized it was incredible, and, yeah. you know. But, yeah, so I, I always knew that I was going to leave for college. I wasn't as... Um, adventurous as some of you know some people who are like I'm going to the east I'm going as far away from this place as possible I'm super close with my my family my mom in particular my grandmother um, I mean they used to come and stay with me at my dorm they stayed with me in graduate school all of my girlfriends are friends with them oh, that's like so, so cool. yeah we just had this really close relationship and so I knew I wasn't gonna go that far but San Diego was a good balance how about from a you mentioned your mom and grandma from a French influence perspective, mm -hmm. did you did you feel a connection to uh, French culture? Um, was that just tangential? I do. Um, you know, it's funny, and even the more you know, some of it was just kind of this natural culture you grew up with, like people being you know kind of loud and boisterous and eating amazing food. And you, as a child, you had to sit at a dinner table for three hours and be in, you know be entertaining and meet with the adults and. Um, when I was having my children, I actually read a book called Bringing Up Bebe, and it's about kind of 
how French women raise their children. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't recognize it at the time, but that's but totally the dynamic that I grew up in and how I've raised my children and a little bit more of a, a hands-off approach, a little bit more of your children have to adhere to your lifestyle versus what I see a lot of American parents doing, which is like, oh my gosh, drop everything, I've had a child now, and like my whole world has to revolve around them. Um, and so, yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been interesting to see how some of those touches of the culture have stayed with me. You mention, your, you talk about your mom all the time because mm -hmm. I know you and we, yeah. we um, please talk to me about your impression of her, probably not through the tough teenage years, but through the rest of that time because I, I imagine you felt that strong connection and support for her much, much earlier than even a teenager. Absolutely, yeah, and, and my grandmother as well. Like they mm. were kind of a package deal, I think given what she went through, like with my, my dad leaving and you know really needing a support network. It was almost like I had two moms and it was amazing. Oh. Um, and they were both just so supportive. Um, I think a lot of like who I've become and the confidence level that I have is because my mom always told me like, you have to be able to be independent. Like, you know, if you want to get married and have kids, that's amazing, but always have your own thing and like mm -hmm. be able to stand on your own if you have to. Um, so I think that that definitely influenced it, but they also are just, they were both so fun and it's, it's rare I think for someone who's, you know, a freshman in college to have their mom and their grandma come yeah. and like stay with them for a week, right? That's and you right. all of my friends were like, oh my gosh, when's Nene coming? Like, you know, they all, they've all still remained really close with her. In fact, my friend's kids now are like really close with my mom. So she's just one of those people. Um, I actually didn't get a lot of her like warmth and compassion and like no. loving nature. Um, she's like an incredible person. That's really sweet. Yeah. Um, if, if you were to talk to that 17-year-old genius, ambitious young girl who was killing it at the high school and asked her mm. what she thought about her aspirations and what her future looked like at that age, yeah. what would she have said? It's funny. I, you know, I went into college, I think, like a lot of kids, with one path or career goal that I mm. thought I wanted. Um, I went to UC San Diego because I thought I wanted to go into some kind of science, biology, maybe even like doctor kind of program. And wow. I don't know if that was as much really what I was passionate about or almost more what I thought was the epitome of being successful. Mm. Um, so I got there and realized probably not the right fit. Um, more of a people person. And so I ended up transitioning to communications, which is nothing like that UC San Diego is known for. But I had a couple professors that were just fantastic in mm. um, communication law and just a journalism. And so they encouraged me to apply to graduate school, went and got a master's degree in journalism. And even that, I really enjoyed it. I didn't love, um, local journalism. I got to spend some time over in London with CNN and loved international journalism. So yeah, I mean, my path was kind of always just very open. Um, I never, I never felt compelled to like have to push myself into a single pigeonhole of, of what I was going to do. Sort of like what's in the moment, what's interesting, be the best at that in the moment. And that's probably how I ended up in home building, which I had no idea even existed as a career. <laughs> 
it's, it's so cool to, to just hear the story of the circuitous pass, uh, okay. path. And, and, and I want to hit on the journalism thing for, for a okay, second. Yeah. But before we go there, what, what, you had so much drive even as a young person. What, what was motivating that drive? Was it just an inner desire to prove to the world that you're amazing? Was it your mom's and grandmother's guidance that you need to be able to stand on your own? Do you feel it's rare? I think we recognize it now that we're, uh, you're nowhere near as old as I am, but now that we're a little older, that, that you know, it's rare to find that hunger, that ambition. Mm -hmm. Where did it come from for you? Um, I've always been competitive, mm. like even as a little kid. I mean, my mom would say, you know, my brothers would be sprinting down the driveway and I'd you chase like... after him and like eat it on the asphalt and get up and still like <laughs> try and beat him, you know? So mm. it must have been some level of an innate competitiveness that has always driven me. Um, but I would say it's definitely that in the back of my mind kind of wanting to to impress my mom, to you know, prove out what she worked so hard to achieve in her children. So I think there's there's an element of that for sure. Was there a was there a sense of struggle? Did you feel like your childhood included struggle, or it's, was it a comfortable childhood? It was a really comfortable childhood, and mm. I look back now as an adult, and my mom did a great job of kind of shielding us right from a significant amount of struggle that she probably dealt with. Mm which again, they motivated me more to like prove myself and to show her like, oh my gosh, all those things that you sacrificed were worth it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, for me, I had really no idea any of that was going on in the background. We didn't have a lot of money, but we'd go camping. Like we just, we enjoyed our lives and her childhood and felt pretty idyllic. Honestly, we never went anywhere. We didn't eat out, we didn't go on vacations, but it was like, I don't know if you just don't recognize what you're missing if you're not exposed to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, and we talk about it now. My brothers were just in town. Um, they came out to Midway with their families. And we were talking about, like, geez, you know, we, like, we have four kids in this family. We're all pretty awesome. And we're all doing very That's different so things. But we're all successful. Like, our parents did an amazing job. It says so much about yeah. them, absolutely. Okay, so back to you finish a degree in communications and you get a master's in journalism and you're a you know, young person with every option available, mm -hmm. what do you do? So, um, again, I guess kind of just being opportunistic. So yeah. I went to London, worked at CNN. So how do you just go to London and work it for was, CNN? Well, you know? <laughs> I know, right? It, it just, it I was, just no, landed no, there no, and they said, what the heck? USC, University of Southern California, has a great, like, you of know, course. just program and connections all over the world. So yeah. it was definitely through that program and through some of my Amazing. professors that I was able to get over there. I mean, that would be the job. I know, right? right? If you finish a degree in journalism, it, that's the it, job. Exactly. It was incredible. But when I went, I actually went between my first and second year of journalism school. Mm. So I took a little bit of a hiatus, went over and worked at CNN, knowing I needed to come back and finish my second year of journalism. So I uh, came back and then was kind of, I mean, I was considering going back again. And the war in Iraq broke out. Actually, I was back in London finishing my thesis of my second year and, you know, working with some of my friends from CNN. War in Iraq broke out and 
all of my connections from London went to be embedded journalists in the Middle East. Wow. And so, you know, I then I was kind of debating, like, uh, I had a brother who was in the military at the time, and he was over there, and it was like, uh, do I really want to be this far from my family? You know, do I really want to, like, start making a life that far away from my family? And so I think part of that is, like, what brought me back. Um, and I had a girlfriend whose mom was a principal at an international hedge fund, and she hired me to help with marketing and investor relations. So I went and did that for a while, and it allowed me to travel to Europe with her, which was amazing. Um, and then I had a girlfriend in home building who came out to LA to recruit, and I kind of helped her set up recruiting trips, had no interest in home building myself until she sold me on it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's literally. just like the most <laughs> random. I mean, I, I, had, I had, didn't have a real estate license. I didn't know what home building really even was. Um, she's like, you should come to Vegas. We're all making money and we're young and it's fun. And if you hate it, you can come back. So I'm like, Amazing. all right, I'll try it. <laughs> so you, do you move to, you moved to Vegas? I moved to Las Vegas. Um, Pulte Homes paid to get my license and to train me for three months and to, you know, put me into the sales mix and uh, I kind of stuck. You know, not that I want to talk about the business side for too long, but it's incredible to me from that vintage that you, when you talk about Pulte and that generation of people, um, now again, as we sometimes work in home building, as you know, I see a lot of those people. What was it about Pulte that made it so special back then and that allowed them to get people like you and so many talented people who are now really key like in the leading industry, the leading industry. the industry. Absolutely, yeah. it's funny, like all paths lead through Pulte, I feel like. Yeah. Um, so they had this window, which luckily I fell into in the mm. early 2000s when yeah. they recognized, it was, you know, when the market was starting to get really hot through that period. I joined in 2004, so kind of right before right. The, the crash in Vegas. Um, but they recognized that they needed to recruit and they just needed to recruit smart people. And they created this entire national kind of training and recruitment initiative mm. where they went into colleges and they found smart people, regardless of degree, you know, background, discipline, and just pulled them into the business and then cross-trained us. I mean, for three months, all I did was they paid me full salary to just train. Wow. And I got to spend a little time in construction, a little time in purchasing, a little. So they were creating this like really broad band of talent that had exposure to the entire operation versus like siloing them like most builders do. Okay, you're in sales, you're in purchasing, um, and so it just created this this plethora of operators. I think Amazing. in that generation, and it's pretty cool because all of my friends that that came in through that period and have stayed in home building. Most of us are in some sort of executive leadership, role. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's interesting because I had not, I wasn't aware that they rotated you through non-sales and marketing functions as yeah. well. So was it a, was it a sort of sense where you're going to be successful, or did they know you were going to be a salesperson, but they want you to appreciate the other dimensions? Yeah. So they they hired me as a salesperson. They hired you. So I did come in in sales, but they had the foresight to recognize, and I'm pretty sure that most of the departments got cross-trained. Mm. Um, maybe not as large of a degree as the sales team, but it was really smart, because if you're in sales, you have to know, like a customer's gonna ask you about trusses, a customer's gonna ask you about their granite countertops. Like you really do kind of have to know the whole business to be successful in that. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Okay, so in just a few a few years, you go from USC to London and CNN um, to Back some to finance, LA and then to Vegas, and now to Vegas. What's your mindset like right now? Are you just uh, are you excited about the adventure? Whatever comes comes. What were you What were you thinking when I went to Vegas? When you went to Vegas, yeah, Let's I went to year. Vegas with pretty pretty low expectations, mm. I guess of if I was even gonna like it and knowing it's one of those times in your life where you know you're young you're not married you don't have kids you're kind of like I'll go and try it and if I hate it what do I lose you I just go switch. back to California or wherever go back into journalism go back into public relations yeah, whatever yeah. um and so I got there and I think part of it was because they had gone through this college recruiting movement so it was like wow this is kind of like going back to college it's like all these That's young cool. people but we're working instead of going to school we're making money we live in vegas like we have no real responsibilities this is amazing and so some of my best friends are still from that time because we were like right in that early stage of our career and just sort of exploring and having fun and i think probably 80 percent of my friends married somebody from like within that circle too and we're all like still hanging out and amazing married. And yeah so it just it, it was just a pretty incredible time and it kind of solidified all of us in that career as well so uh, i'm assuming you were at pulte during 08 09 10 so or? i actually got recruited away mm. from pulte in las vegas in 2008 so vegas wow. had already gone through its pretty significant like hit vegas was kind of the first to fall yeah, yeah. in the country really yeah um, so dealt with that whole situation, which, you know, brand new, wide-eyed, like, yeah, I'm going to be in Oops. sales and make it all this money. Like, just kidding. I'm a cancellation taker now. Um, but at the same time, it was probably a good time to enter, mm. like retrospectively, absolutely, because you learned at like the hardest time in this business versus coming in. Maybe if I'd come in a little earlier, it would have gotten you know, a little fat and happy and like, oh, this is what sales is, like right. taking orders, you know, and it, that definitely wasn't my experience. Um, I got recruited down to Taylor Morrison in Phoenix in 2008, which was about the time that Phoenix, Phoenix crashed. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I kind of timed that perfectly. I'm not wow. saying I started the crisis, wow. but maybe I did. I don't know. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. And so I got down to Phoenix and they had hired me as their, their vice president of sales and marketing. It was one of their biggest divisions. I was by far the youngest you wow. know, executive in that role in the yes. company at the time. And you know, come down all excited. I'm the vice president, you know, like this is awesome. And then they're like, um, so we're going to have to lay off like 40 people on your team. What? <laughs> so, you know, six months into this new job, I'm, I'm laying off people who had been there for their whole career and who were significantly older than me and proven themselves. And I mean, that was, that was probably one of the hardest oh things I've ever had to do, but it also, taught a lot of character of how you can do that like respectfully how you can you know be like you don't have to be the hard ass boss right like there has yeah. to be some empathy in that process and the happiest thing that happened was a few years later when the market did come back I got to hire a number of those people back you know so it's one of those things where it's like such a heavy learning curve um but yeah and then being in Phoenix during the downturn mm. and 
having such a, a lean staff and really having to like pick up every ball. I mean, there were nights where I was there with the escrow coordinator filing, right? And days where I was the marketing manager and days where I was out in the field setting up a model and like you just kind of made it all work. And it's funny looking back and talking to my team that was there during that time. I was down to 13 sales agents in wow. Phoenix. Wow. I mean, it was like skeleton crew, right? And still looking back and talking with that team, it was our best time in the industry. Like we had the most fun and we just created it ourselves and no budgets, you know, no big uh, bonuses, <clears throat> but it was awesome. So P, I think everyone listening or watching to this knows about your involvement in women in building and women professionally in general. Yeah. Were you aware, did, was your identity as a woman in building um, relevant at that time to you? Did, were you aware, I'm a woman and it's different? Or were there was there so much uh, uh, acceptance and diversity around you that it, it wasn't an issue for you back then? You know, I, I, what's interesting is I've become more aware of it mm. now and not necessarily for myself, but for the women that are trying to break into the industry and recognizing like, I, you know, I'm not like at the top, but I've, I've had a successful career Absolutely. and now I need to like pass that down and bring others up and into it, right? Like I can't just be insular about myself. And when I was going through it, I, w I mean, I was aware I was a lot of times the only woman in the room, but I don't know if it was having three brothers, if it was just like a level of competitiveness or, or an ability also to um, hang with the guys. Like I never, I never felt isolated. I honestly didn't really ever talk about being a woman in construction until probably the last four years since I've been in Utah. Amazing. Yeah. So it was uh, candidly a non-event for you back then. Yeah, it, was... it really was. I mean, there were probably, if I look back, there were probably like a handful of, you know, situations yeah, yeah. where like, oh, this is awkward or uncomfortable. But Honestly, I mean, half the time I cuss more than the guys. I drink beer faster than them. You know, all those things. You're faster, like, you're stronger, fun, you're fun. tougher. It's all. It's, no, but. Yeah. Um, and I also, I had so many amazing male leaders throughout my career. Like my first vice president of sales and marketing, my division presidents, my region presidents who were, they were so supportive. They never made me feel like it was awkward. In fact, probably the opposite. It was like they so wanted some diversity around their table and you know we got along well and and so yeah I didn't it wasn't really a big deal for me I also have recognized however that of all the disciplines in construction sales and marketing is probably the most balanced right of men and women and so a lot of the things that I've been doing now since joining like our family business, it's more custom construction. It's a lot more construction focused. It's a lot more field and trade focused. Yeah. And my husband has a trades company. That's where there's a huge gap, right? And a really big barrier to entry for women. And so I didn't have to experience quite the level of like, oh my gosh, I'm one of two. And, and there's a lot of women out there in this, this industry that still do. Thanks for that perspective. Yeah. So speaking of family, you just mentioned your family and your husband. Um, how, um, again, with your ambition and planning, um, was family a milestone for you? Like, I want to do this, or did it just happen? 
how did that come about? Yeah, um, no, always planned. I feel always like planned. it's funny. Every, to the month, to the day. <laughs> so I don't know if my husband's ever told you this story, but I, so my senior year in high school, we had um, to do a time capsule, a 10 year time capsule. And there were like 50 different items that you put in, you know, some of them were silly things like a, a letter from a friend or yeah. a newspaper from that period or what have you. But one of them was write out your 10 year plan. And so I have this 10-year plan, and I still have a copy of it because my mom, of course, keeps everything. <clears throat> and it was like, go to college. At the time, I didn't even, I don't remember thinking that graduate school was even an option, but I had it on my list. Amazing. Get married, you know, meet the, start my career, meet the man <laughs> of my dreams, have, you know, get married, have two kids, a boy and a girl. Like, and my husband was like, this is creepy because it was Start my career June of 2004. It was that specific. And that's when I joined Pulte. Good for you. I know. It's, so bizarre. But then I, after 10 years, I'm like, oh no, now what's going to no. happen? <laughs> I don't have a plan anymore. No, so now it's I, just been winging it. But yeah, um, I always knew I wanted a family. That was, that was probably one of the things that held me back from journalism, to be quite mm. honest, as I started to see the women who've been successful in that industry you have to move all the time you're basically a contract worker um most of them did not have children uh or if they did they had a stay-at-home husband or you know a divorced situation and so some of that was definitely taken into consideration but i always knew i wanted two kids i actually also always knew i wanted two blue-eyed kids which is crazy because I have brown eyes and I always was told that was dominant, but I have two blue eyed kids. So you willed it. (laughs) (laughs) When I ask you that question, I'm sure those in the room are going, who plans that? But you are the kind who plans everything, which takes me to my next question. Um, Let's not talk short term the next five years, but what's that, what's that big milestone 10 years, 15 years from now that is on your, on your aspirations list? Well, I think you know, my biggest one is getting back to Sonoma County. Um, you know, I definitely want to have a, a home in Healdsburg. I want to be close and to it's my Healdsburg. parents. It's Healdsburg. Have you picked the house? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have a basic You've general got... area. <laughs> you do, don't I, you? Yeah, yeah, totally. But, you know, so uh, there, it's funny, I was talking to my girlfriend the other day, and I'm not, I'm not super into material things. I like nice things. I always like to look nice. I like to have a nice house, right? But I'm not somebody who like needs a new car every year, needs this or that. I'm like, I want a house in Healdsburg that's close to my parents, especially as they're getting older. Um, And I want my kids to go to an awesome college in a town or a city where I wanted to come and have that experience that my mom and I had as my kids are in college and get to go like stay and hang out and crash in their condo. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, so yeah, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm always going to be ambitious career-wise and probably always work, but having a super high demand job long-term is not my, my number one priority. Like if I can figure out a way to make, my, make myself um, appealing to an employer, even if it's maybe transitioning to more consulting work or something like that, you know, so that I can have that flexibility and freedom to go spend summer break with my kids. Yeah. You, you say that yet every time I talk to you and I know you're (laughs) very busy busy. right now, I know, (laughs) but you always have a million things going on. You're, you're too freaking ambitious to, um, do you sense that, are you able to shut yourself down? Are you able to go to that place where you're not doing a million things? I am actually. Mm. Yeah. I, 
and it not not probably you know forever or whatever but I, so three years ago now gosh it's been three years I took a sabbatical from work and I could because I was working at our family business which is a little easier to do than in corporate America and took the kids to France for so seven cool. weeks and I shut down my work phone like I didn't check a single email during that seven week period and um, on weekends, I have I have two phones, and people laugh at me because it's ridiculous. I'm juggling all this stuff. But I have a work phone, and I turn it off on the weekends, and you know, focus that time here. So, the only way I think I can sort of have all of these things going in my life is to figure out like how to prioritize them and time management, and make sure I don't lose sight of when you talk about what's what's the thing that's most important 10 years from now, yeah, yeah. it's my family. And so if I'm not prioritizing that now when they're young and they're actually with me every day, it's, what's the point of prioritizing it 10 years from now when they're gonna wanna see me like a couple times a month? <laughs> that would be great. I, I, will you talk to my kids please? Yeah. A couple of times a month would be great. He is given all this excellent planning and achievement and willing things into reality. Um, do you have a regret? Do you have something you wish you would have done differently? Uh, or if you could go back and tell yourself, no, don't do that, it's not going to end well. I, I mean, I'm sure that I do, but I've lived in this world where I, I'm not someone who typically experiences, it's funny, I, I read a quote, I think it's by a Chinese philosopher, that if you're depressed, you're living in the past, if you're anxious, you're living in the future, and if you're at peace, you're living in the present. I, I just think it's like such a beautiful, like perfectly stated quote. And I would say that I do have a tendency to get anxious, probably because I'm a planner and because you know I want all these things to check off, right? So I find myself living in the future sometimes more than I would like to, or in the present. I very rarely think anything negative about the past. I don't, like, I really, like, thinking through, there's there's steps that I took that I probably should have taken a different direction or whatever, but I'm like, that's what led me to where I am now, and I'm pretty happy, and I've had an amazing life, and, I, like, everything's going great. So, yeah, I can't think of a place where I'm like, I should have pivoted and done something different. Um, well, I, I can attest to the fact that I don't think even in your most stressful of moments when I've seen you, you've always maintained both poise and this positive energy. And I, I don't know how you do it. Um, Sometimes I yell can, at my kids. Like a is that, so I was gonna ask, <laughs> does, it, does it come out somewhere else? Is it, it, there must be, do you sense that you always have a positive, poised polish to you? Or is that just, to you, that's who I am? That's who you are? Um, a little bit. I. I guess, okay, so here's probably one thing that maybe I do regret. When I was mm. younger, I, I was much more um, willing to just kind of go with the flow, right? Like, oh, hey, we're going to Ireland for the weekend and it's Thursday. Like, book a flight. Like, just, okay, done, you know? And I don't know if so much of that is just, you know, your life gets busier, you have more responsibilities, whatever. But I do kind of miss living in the moment of being a little looser, right, than just, I maybe used to be. Um, I still, you know, I still hang out and go to friends and concerts and whatever, but I never, I find now that I never let myself get too far outside of my, like, comfort zone. I don't like to lose control of a situation, so. 
that all resonates. Yeah, makes it makes sense, sense right? Um, you have so many strengths, so many talents, and you just acknowledged, I'm interested in everything. I could be a journalist, I could write, I could be a leader in home building, and apparently you can also do finance and PR and <laughs> public relations. Um, what do you, if you were to name one superpower that you have, mm. like what is it? What's your, what's that thing that you feel you've got? And I know you're humble, so you're gonna struggle with this. But what's the one superpower that that you recognize in yourself? Um, I honestly think it's probably open-mindedness. Mm. I don't know if that's really a superpower technically, but and I've noticed it more and more, um, even in today's environment. Like whether it's politically based, right? I, I see more and more of my friends kind of, and my even my family, right? Like diverging into these buckets and, and not being willing to listen to others or being open to ideas or opinions, even if it's like completely, like you hate their idea, like just listen to it, hear them out, understand why they're coming to it from that perspective. That's what was good. their, what was their, background that's different than yours um, and so I find myself kind of being that peacekeeper I guess a lot now um, even within my own family dynamic yeah. right and and I I think some of it comes from the journalism background too it's like it's fascinating to learn about people and what they're doing and why they approach things that way and so I, I think that right now that's probably the thing if we were to complement that question mm -hmm. and go, do you have an insecurity in, inside that polished, poised, positive, smart shell? Is there an insecurity that you that you are overcoming that you constantly feel like you're battling? Hmm. Um, and I don't want to come off as cocky <laughs> no, or anything. No. Um, yeah, I think I think probably it's just that always like questioning am I making the right decisions around my children mm. um, I don't know if, if that's something that I think most moms think about a lot and there's so many outside influences now too right everyone has their opinion on what you should be doing and why they should have phones or shouldn't have phones or wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. like there's just all these like voices mm. in your head constantly about like am I doing the right thing to raise amazing humans, which is really my number one goal as a, as a mom. So I think that that's probably the one thing that, that I'll like think about at night, right? Did I, did I make the right decisions today? Should I have let them do that? Were they talking back too much? You know, like, don't you eat too much junk food? <laughs> so yeah, I think it's that like mom guilt side. Um, you know, our, our mutual friend, Eric, I won't mention his last name, <laughs> frequently says that in his experience, the best parents are always worried about the fact that they're not good enough as parents mm -hmm. and the worst ones think they're great. You know, it's, right. it's, yeah. and, and I, I'll tell you that um, the role modeling that you are creating for your kids, you and Matthew is, is just amazing. And I, I sincerely, that's, I think as we think about our parents, it's right. really role modeling that, yeah. you know, that's, that's what impacts us the most. Absolutely. If I were to close this out with, um, I think is the toughest question. 
Um, so I'd love for you to think about this for a second. Aside from your family, what are you most proud of in everything you've done, achieved, impacted, aside from your family? Mm -hmm. probably say the influence that I've had on people that have worked with and for me. Um, I'm, you know, I always joke that at some point I should have a career in like recruiting because I stay connected with just about everyone I've ever had a relationship with in the industry. And, you know, when somebody's looking for a new hire, they'll reach out to me <laughs> before a headhunter. <laughs> like, do you know anybody? Da, da, da. And so I, I feel like I've, had an opportunity to influence a lot of people and, and build their careers up and give them opportunities and connect them with opportunities. Um, and so it's kind of like raising kids, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, always, I've always had more of a connection with the team that's like either my peer group or reporting to me than I've felt I need to have to the people above me. And part of that is just being a supportive leader, right? It's like anything that I do is because of the team around me. And if they're willing to run through walls for you, you're gonna get a lot more achieved. So just treating them with respect, trying to figure out what career goals they have and how can I help guide them into those. Even if sometimes it meant I had to lose them, right? Like they Absolutely. had a better opportunity somewhere else and supporting them in getting that opportunity and going for it and hoping maybe they come back to me at some point when someone else trains them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that that the people connection side of business and career for me is far more important than like career milestones that I've maybe achieved. Well, I want to publicly thank you for being on the receiving end of that generosity and the support because you have been so incredibly impactful on me personally and on me uh, during this really tough entrepreneurial journey. And it's been great having the, the support of friends like you who are super smart, super clear-headed, uh, and able to care enough to, to say, you know, don't worry about this. Or, so I really, I have received a lot of that benefit from, from your support, and I'm really grateful for it. But thank you so much for making the time today. Absolutely, this is fun, thank you.